All right. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood, and uh, we'll begin as we always do with our prayer before we get started. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. And Holy Spirit, please come. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, hey, so last week we got, we were talking about domestic church, and I pulled out an old document that John Paul II had had written back in 81. I was still in high school. Kind of hard to believe, as old as I am. But um, were you even born? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Uh, uh, I was six. Wow. So 1981. Um, a lot of things going on in 81, but um, but he he puts out this document, and we were we were walking through um, kind of the idea of the domestic church and and a family being carrying out its priestly role, its prophetic role, and its um, kingly role. Um, and so, just because I'd printed it off, I started going back through, and I'm like, you know, this would be pretty cool, because there's a section in here, um, so the document lays out basically, hey, family's very important, just as I read the prayer, that prayer that I read at the beginning of this is written by John Paul II, you can hear what we're going to talk about here just in that prayer about, you know, about the church carrying out its worldwide mission in the family and through the family, the family is kind of central to the church's ability to pass on the truth about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about what he's left behind and what he calls each of us to do. And and this, you know, I, I'm not a fan of like mission and vision statements for businesses to the extent that they're just kind of up there just to do it. But, to the, but I have seen businesses, I've seen entities that had – has a has a good mission statement and they make decisions based on this is our mission. They line up, hey, what am I going to do with this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so it kind of caught my eye. I've read this before, but I but just as I was looking back through that this section is the role of the Christian family and then he basically talks about the mission and vision for families. Kind of what are we supposed to be doing as a Catholic Christian, um, not that there's any different there, but <laughs> but as a Christian family in this world, um, and I, how does that play itself out in day to day? And so, I thought we'd go through. I, I maybe start off with the with the beginning because it, the the title of this section, um, the title of this section. I mean, I, did I did I lay at the beginning? I mean, the beginning churches and is going to help with this. It's kind of the first section. Church's job is to help the family live it, live the way it's supposed to. Second section is basically, hey, here's some bright spots and here's some shadows or some dark spots that are going on in the current setting. Of course, this is written in '81, so that's what goodness gracious, forty four over forty years ago, <laughs> long time ago. Um, like I said, yeah, I was in high school. <laughs> so, um, and then, and then but part I, three. I think, it, I think it's worth pointing out, or, or just saying, it's kind of an obvious point, but those shadows have just only become darker and more pervasive. I would say that right. the trends and the and the dangers that he was he identified just accelerated 
Right. And and, and it, so this is still a live issue. And again, I think you know ideas, beliefs bear fruit. They always do because if you direct your life according to some belief and and make decisions based on that belief, then there's going to be fruit that comes from it. Mm-hmm. So if you have erroneous beliefs or really beliefs that are bad, then then bad things going to come. Bad things are going to come from it. I think the point here is if 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 a family is grounded in the truth and grace of Jesus Christ, and then we really take seriously what he through his church and through Pope John Paul II here is calling us, and those are our beliefs and thoughts, then 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 the idea is that it should bear fruit, right? I mean that's what John fifteen five says, which you know, if if I abide in you and you abide in me, you will bear much fruit, right? I'm the vine, Jesus speaking. Uh, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And apart from, apart from him, we can do nothing. And if truth, the truth that's about who, who the family is and what the family's supposed to do, and then the grace that's provided by what Christ accomplished on the cross and through his passion, death, and resurrection that he now transmits to us in many places, but certainly through the sacrament of marriage, through the Eucharist, through the other sacraments, through the reading of scripture, all those type of things. That stuff helps us by, he empowers us, Jesus does, to live out these ideals to the best of our ability. The great thing about this is it's not like, okay, we're, we're meant to strive for some level of perfection, but but he even talks about the fact in, in, in this document, I don't know if we'll get to it today, but in one of these sections about the fact that sin causes division and there's sin in families. And so part of the good news is, is that reconciliation is something that we're meant to exhibit. So even when bad things happen, even when we make decisions that that are sinful to God and and cause grief to our spouses or to our children or our children to the parents or whatever, so it's an honest article, right? I mean, it's not like living up in the clouds and mm-hmm. and and nothing about reality, which is if anybody's lived in a family longer than an hour or two. <laughs> You're, you're going to know that we're all fallen individuals. We're sinful, but that's part of the good news. That's where it, that's where it comes from. And so he's not afraid to mention that as well. But and if I could ju- jump in and add one more contextual piece, maybe some listeners are familiar with John Paul's theology of the body, mm-hmm. and that that theology was first given public hearing in some um, Wednesday audiences. Some homilies or lectures, I'm not sure what you would call those. Um, he started those in 1979 at the beginning of his pontificate, and they ran, I'm just looking at this on a timeline on EWTN's website, they ran all the way to November of 1984. Right. So this encyclical kind of lands right in the middle of, he's sort of in the midst of giving these audiences and really developing this theology of the body. Which, um, which makes sense because, listen, We've talked about that. I mean, the theology body just says it, the essence is the human body and it alone. I mean, if you take if you take the whole thing and put it in a sentence, I'm a quote from my memory, so it may just be a catechism. <laughs> but 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 I I believe it's almost identical. Catechism usually gets us pretty close. It's pretty close, and, and and there's a line in those audiences: the human body and it alone is capable of. Revealing the visible and the invisible, Hmm. the human and the divine. Hmm. So part of God's plan is the invisible reality of who he is and the reality of who we are as humans. He wants to reveal himself in and through our humanity, which the sacrament of God the sacrament of God is the person Jesus Christ, okay? He is the outward sign, Jesus, of the reality of who God is because he is God. But he made himself, manifested himself, revealed himself in and through humanity. And he wants to pass that 
on, and so that theology of the body would make perfect sense as he works through that theology, which is not new, okay? It's not new. It's a, it's a, a deepening understanding, but it's based from the very beginning on what the sacrament of marriage is meant to be, right? John, I mean, Paul himself in Ephesians, one of the verses, one of the sections that's read in chapter 5 over and over again at weddings when you go to it, references how a husband should love his wife and the wife should love her husband. Wife as the church loves Christ. Christ as, I mean, a, the husband as Christ loves the church. So it's biblically based from the beginning, but this is kind of a an unveiling. So it would make sense without even having talked about that, that this would kind of flow from that. Yeah. Because he recognizes something that... So God started humanity with a family, <laughs> right? And that family of Adam and Eve, they were made in the image and likeness of God. And part of the theology of the body says that actually... The highest image, we, we always think of what St. Paul says. St. Paul saying Christ and the church, so a married couple is meant to be an outward sign in the sacrament, the sacrament of marriage of Christ and his relationship with the church and the church and her relationship with her bridegroom, Jesus. Mm-hmm. He goes back to the beginning and says, when, he, when they say, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them, that, that the primordial kind of image of who God is, is not just the individual, but actually those two coming together, the, mar- the marriage itself, is meant to be the primary image from the beginning of God as a trinity. And there's kind of a hint to it on the first page of the Bible when it says, let us make Man in our image, so he created. Man, let me read it because I was, I was as a as an English teacher, <laughs> always get a kick out of the fact because I was asked, what, what what's wrong with this? And it says, so God, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. But it's the same sentence. It sounds confusing. Mm-hmm. But but they point. Two, and then even the rest of this about being fruitful and multiply points to what the church has always taught. You can go, that's the first page of the Bible, people. I mean, I'm, Genesis, you can see the title. So, what I'm saying is, is he, in his theology of the body, start, starts by giving not, not something new, but saying from, from the beginning, God has intended that the relationship of male and female in marriage from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, was is meant to be a way that God shows the world who God is when we are at our best, right? When we are responsive to God's plan, and when we are responsive to God's grace, and when we know what His plan is, and then when we try with the help of the grace of the sacraments, with the grace that God provides in and through the person of Jesus Christ, when we try to live that out, that we certainly fail sometimes, but we have the capacity and, in fact, are charged with by God as a married couple and as a family to be assigned to this world, to manifest to this world in our own unique way the truth about who God is as Trinity, the truth about who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you would you would understand why this is such a big part because what he what I think he's saying is it has to play it, it, the truth about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us has to be be made evident in this world in and through the family. It has to be taught in and through the family. It has to be lived out in and through the family, and that's the way God intended to bring it in because even Jesus himself was put into a family the Holy Family of Nazareth. I mean, he could have come a lot of different, he could have come in a spaceship, he could have, he could have <laughs> dropped out of the sky just like he went up in the sky, right? I mean, there's think of yeah, all the true. ways he, he could have done this. But he put him in a family with a father figure, right, in, in St. Joseph, with a mother, a real mother, <laughs> in Mary, and he is a child. 
And so it just continues to manifest this, to show us that God thinks so highly of the family and that our job as people living in 2022 and going forward is to, is to understand, and that's what I hope this is by unpacking this. I charge all of y'all, go, go read it in, in bits <laughs> and then go to the footnotes and read the sections because like Thaddeus was talking about, I mean, you know, Gaudium et Spes and Lumen Gentium, a lot of the Vatican II documents are there. And Pope John Paul II 100% believed Vatican II was the Holy Spirit at work in and through his church, and that he as Pope, because God put him there, his job was to help realize what Vatican II was put at. So this is Yeah, for sure. He early. was a council father. He was a... A he, bishop. He was a, was a bishop there. He was involved in a lot, of, a lot of the writing of different, th- of, of very different much documents. involved in drafting Gaudium et Spes. My understanding, right? And and so very active in it, and believed that the Holy Spirit through the Pope called it, and that there was a reason that it was happening, and that when he became Pope, he was like, I, "That's my focus is to yeah. take those." So you're going to see him quote extensively those along with a lot of scripture, too. Um, and so, anyway, I, I guess it wouldn't be surprising that he would put this there and say, if we're going to continue to re- reveal Jesus to this world, one of the places that that's got to start and begin is in and through the family. And I think, that, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but... It, we get caught up in the hustle and bustle of living daily life, right? I mean, we can start just doing the stuff that we do, not thinking about it, not offering it, just trying to get through the day, You right? I mean, get up in the morning, get the kids fed, get them to school, whatever, get to work, do the stuff that, I, that, that we do and, and get stuck in kind of the ritual without the meaning behind it. It's, no, it's not a whole lot different than going to Mass and not paying attention to what really is going on and just doing the stuff, right? We as humans are body and spirit, right? We're matter and spirit. We're intended to have those two things come together, and that's why that's what theology of the body is essence. Remember, the body and it alone is capable of making the invisible visible, Very sacramental thought, right? <laughs> it, it, the body and it alone is capable of making the visible, I mean, the invisible visible, the human and the divine. And so God intends to work through us. So us having a clear idea of God's plan for marriage and then having these points that we're going to go through that are kind of the tasks, then that gives us kind of an outline and we're each going to be unique and unrepeatable, right? Our families are going to be different. We're going to have different charisms. We're going to have different gifts. We're going to have different talents. We're going to have different resources. But we can all go back to the same, this is what it means to be a family and what we're called by God to do. And that's how God wants to manifest himself in and through the sacrament of holy man and matrimony to this world so that people can come to know and love and entrust themselves to him through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That, mm. Does that make sense? Get a little excited about this, though, yep. because family become what you are. As you should. So, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of lay the groundwork and get down to this, and then we'll, we'll hop into this first part of this. But I think it's worth reading. Um, and this is from number 17, from Familiaris Consortio, which is on... On the, was on the it, church, uh, on the church in the modern world. No, on, on the family in the modern world. On the family in the modern, on the role of the family in the, in the modern, modern world, world, right? And it says here in seventeen, this is John Paul II in that document. The family finds in the plan of God, the Creator and Redeemer, not only its identity, what it is, but also its mission, what it can and should do. There's, so there again, is a sacramental a sacramental kind of way of thinking, right? Mm-hmm. What it is, kind of 
what it looks like, that type of stuff, and then what it should do. There's, you need the grace to do it, but you have to start with what it, what it stands for. The role that God calls the family, again, getting back to John Paul II, the role that God calls the family to perform in history derives from what the family is. Its role represents the dynamic and existential development of what it is. Each family finds within itself a summons that cannot be ignored and that specifies both its dignity and its responsibility. Family, become what you are. Mm. And that's what this section is. But that summons evokes what it's meant to evoke. Marriage and family life is a calling, right? God is calling us to this. So, become what you are. So, we're going to start, well, what are we, <laughs> right? Today, more than anything, the idea of family is being undermined, right? And so, right here is at the heart, yes. which again, I think points to the prophetic nature of, of John Paul II, because he recognizes that even back in 1981 that this idea of what the family is, is being undermined. I, I, in other words, what we're, where we are now, because the family's being changed, the, the idea of the family is being changed, he's saying, hey, we need to know what we are, what we're meant to be. And that flows out into what we should do. But we have to start with who, what we are. So, again, I'll continue reading this. Accordingly, the family must go back to the beginning, quote-unquote, of God's creative act, which means the very beginning, page one of Genesis, if it is to attain self-knowledge and self-realization in accordance with the inner truth, not only of what it is, but also of what it does in history. Okay, again, what you're hearing is this. We need to know what we, what we are to know what we're supposed to do and that we have to go back to the beginning, he's going back to page one and saying, what are we as a family charged with? Because that's how God started the human race, with a family. And since God's plan, getting back to him, since in God's plan it has been established as an intimate community of love and life, which you'll hear of life and love, which you'll hear over and over again, the family has the mission to become more and more what it is. That is to say, a community of life and love in an effort that will find fulfillment as will everything created and redeemed in the kingdom of God. So it's, it's almost even referencing that's kind of in living this out. There's a sense in which we're kind of capturing a little bit of what heaven's meant to be like, right? I mean, cause we could communion of saints, the mm-hmm. idea of family. Mm-hmm. And so look at it in such a way as to reach its very roots we must say that the essence and role of the family are in the final analysis specified by love. Hence, the family has the mission, and we've talked about this before, this is effectively what all these tasks are going to do, is saying the family has the mission to guard, to reveal, and to communicate love. Mm -hmm. And again, hearing the sacramental idea. And this is a living reflection of and a real sharing in God's love for humanity and the love of Christ, the Lord, for the church, his bride. That last sentence really speaks to the fact that a living reflection gives us the sign, right? The sign. It's meant to be a sign of who God is. But it's also not just a sign, is it? It's a real sharing in God's life, God's love. And so this idea of us being connected with this God who's asking to reveal himself in and through us and through our families is both being aware of what we are and then allowing God's grace and his life within us through sacrament of matrimony and all the other sacraments he makes available to show the world in a living reflection, right? What it is, what it means to share in God's life and his love. I mean, there can't be anything more important than that. We may, we may be excited about the jobs or the economy or 
I mean, you name the things that we spend time on. All important, okay? There is nothing more important than this. If you're Christian, right? Your job is to make Christ present in this world. And one of the ways that it's meant to happen is in and through the family. So it's all laying the groundwork. Every particular task of, and I love this next line, every particular task of the family is an expressive and concrete actuation of that fundamental mission. I like it because he's again pointing to the fact that each family, each family and every task of family is this expression that takes its form in a concrete act. Like, this takes seriously our humanity and all the stuff that we're required to do in fulfilling our obligations as a husband, as a wife, as parents, as children. So those day-to-day concrete actuations are there. And anyway, so... Basically, what they're saying, what he ends with is this, and this will have us leap into this. Thus, with love as its point of departure and making constant reference to it. So, love is everything, right? That's who God is. The recent synod, which is the reason he wrote this, was following this group, emphasized four general tasks for the family. So, these are the four tasks that help the family fulfill its mission. of guarding, revealing, and communicating love. Those four tasks, number one, forming a community of persons. Number two, serving life. Number three, participating in the development of society. And number four, sharing in the life and mission of the church. Those are the four tasks that help the family guard, reveal, and communicate love within the family and through the family to the world. All right, it's a long introduction. Might be a little, little uh, verbose, but you know that's what catechism does. <laughs> anyway, so we're of those four things: forming a community, persons, serving life, participating in the development of society, sharing in the life and mission of the church. We're going to start with number one, which is forming a community of persons. Right, and so we're going to go here, and here's the deal. So it starts off with love is as the principle and the power of communion. So if we're going to form a community of persons, the idea is community. I mean, let's define the term. Community, just break the word down, means union with, to become one with, right? So the family, which is founded and given, founded and given life by love is a community of persons, of a husband and wife, of parents and children, of relatives. And its first task is to live with fidelity the reality of communion in a constant effort to develop an authentic community of persons. So basically what he's saying is, here's what you are. You are a community of persons, whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not, that's what you are. Guess what? God is a communion of persons. One God, three persons, a communion of persons. You are a community of persons. So start off with what you are, but you have to know what causes that. Where do you get the grace to live that? And often when we talk about this with the kids, with about the Trinity, we identify God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We also usually follow that up with explaining God the Father is the lover, God the Son is the beloved, and the Holy Spirit is the love that's generated between the two of them and is a person, a divine person in and of himself. Now, it's not perfect yeah, but Trinitarian theology, but that helps the children to see that analogical um, connection between the human family, the human bond between the, the wife and the and the um Husband and the child that comes from that love, and it's refle- that it's a reflect how how it's a reflection of the the trinitarian right. nature of and, God. And I think it's really important if if love is the principle and power of communion, and love is what we're meant to guard, reveal, and protect. Mm-hmm. Right? Then we need to understand what love is. Mm-hmm. And another thing that's undermined in society today mm-hmm. is 
I can love chocolate. Right. I can love the Longhorns. I can love Aggies. I can it love. It brings out that love is relational. It must right. be relational. And it's based on self-giving. Yes. In fact, total self-gift. Yes. For the sake of the other. Yes. Right? So God is this eternal self-gift of the Father to the Son, the Son receiving it fully. I'll take all that you have, Father, and giving it back, mm-hmm. saying I give myself back to you the same way. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that self-giving, mm-hmm. which self-gift requires, I'm willing it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about love, to guard, communicate it, and reveal it, mm-hmm. and we're trying to form a community of persons, we need people to understand in our family, like you're doing there, mm-hmm. that this is something that we choose to do. Mm-hmm. Love is a choice. It's an act of the will. It's right. not a feeling. It's right. not something we fu- we might have that associated with it, right? because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're made for. Love. Made by love. Made for love. <laughs> But we need to understand that that's what it is, right. because I think it, I think the way people talk about love too much is part of maybe some of the shadows within a culture that undermine this first step, which is forming a community of persons. And we it's also about what like I get. It. It's about what I can give. Right. And what you said there about um, self self gift and the giving and receiving, we also like to use those those points to also talk with the children about how. Love, if you if you see it in that Trinitarian perspective, love is by its very nature generative. It's cre it's creative. Right. So so the creation of the material universe comes out of and is dependent upon that uh, God's nature as love. Right. Love and life go together. Right. And 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 so just so fr- that's why frustrating generation, frustrating life is right. contrary to love. Right, and that's part of theology of the body. But it's but again, it gets back to the essence of everything he's saying, which is we as humans have to take seriously the fact that God created us in His image and likeness to be relational, because He's a relational being, one God, three persons, three distinct persons, but one God that we're meant to be in that relation, that the way we come into being as an individual from a natural perspective is from two, a male and a female coming together to create that. I mean, nowadays, I would never have thought that would have been an issue to even say that and worry about what somebody might. (laughs) But biologically, it's facts. But that's why anything other than that... Any other kind of arrangement or means of generating that child steals from that child their right to their mother and their father. Right. They have a right to a mother and a father. And, and, and to a mother and father who have committed themselves to say, mm-hmm. we have this love for each other. Mm-hmm. And just like God's love, it's generate. I mean, we're, we are giving ourselves yeah. to one another. In reality, in in a particular moment, mm-hmm. under the right circumstances, with the help of God's grace, a child can flow out of that self-gift. Right. The most intimate of self-gifts. But it's meant to be reflective of a love, like a not. Uh, I'm giving myself completely to you, not just bodily. I've already given myself to you and saying, I'm in it with you for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I am open to, in our self-giving to one another, to the life that may be produced, and that our mission is to love that life forward. Yeah, I mean, together. It, it's it's so it's a it's a the permanent it, bond of marriage is the most reflective of God's life-giving love to us because it reflects how God remains with us through our entire. Life, right. just the way the mother and the father are making that lifelong commitment. They're saying, I brought you into being in this moment, and then I'm staying with you forward through your life because right. of our of our commitment to one another in this marriage. Right, and so so that, that again, that invisible, we don't, you know, we make 
at a marriage, we, we, make, we say the words. The church will walk you through the words. It's basically saying, I'm going to be faithful to you, you, you alone. You know, I, I'm open to the fruitfulness. I, everything that I have is yours, and everything that yours is, is mine, right? I'm a, it's total self-giving. Mm-hmm. We make those promises. Those are the words. That's that we are. But the reality is that has to be something that we inside, both of us, are saying, I'm not sure I understand what all that means, but I made those promises, and I'm going to stick with those promises. You know, mm-hmm. Back to my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my dad at wedding day saying, Trey, you walk through those doors, you say I do, you're in. You know, we can leave now, but when you say it, you're in. There's no out. I mean, it's death to us part. Mm-hmm. That's the level of, that we've got to go. But we, got, I guess, the point is, is if love is what we're to guard, protect, and reveal, then our children need to understand what love really means. So we can say, "I love chocolate," or "I like turkey and dressing," or what you know, as we get as we approach Thanksgiving, <laughs> or I like gifts, or or whatever. Got, th- got Thanksgiving on the mind, there, right? I yeah, I mean, whatever we're saying, we we can say no. that word, right? Right. But we got to understand that's a that's different than when I say I love you, Stephanie. Or when Stephanie says I love you, because that's more than just a word. It's meant to be more than just a word. It's meant to communicate again what we promise to each other. Is when I say I love you, I'm saying I'm giving myself to you. I hope that all my actions, everything that I do, reflects actively to her. That total self. And it's totally different than Christ saying to the apostles. I love one another as I have loved you. Right. Which, how does he love that? I mean, lays down his life for the sake of the other, for the good of the other, to his own detriment. Right. That's what love is. That's heroic. Right. (laughs) It's, that's what, that's what people want, you know, they don't watch movies about all this other stuff. I mean, people want to see heroes. What a hero is, is somebody who cares enough for somebody else to lay down their life. There's no greater hero than Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, what he did for us, because what he gained by his self-gift. And his self-gift perfectly, his self-gift is perfectly to the Father on the cross and perfectly to us. So his, his is the perfect offering, the kind of the crosshairs of where it all be- begins and ends is in and through his heart on that cross. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where... Perfectly gives himself to the Father, perfectly gives himself to us. Love itself, crucified. Love himself, crucified. So, anyway, got me fired up. But anyway, there's a line here that it's in the section of the, and, and I think it's really important. He, he, this is his very first encyclical. He quotes in this deal on Redemptor Hominus, on the Redeemer of Man. So he starts off his pontificate with Jesus, who the Redeemer of man. And there's a line, I think it's in like the seventh, it, we, you can find it if you did, it's, it's number 45 on the footnotes, uh, for all of you who following along. But here's a quote, and I love this quote. It says, man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him. If he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it, man cannot live, I'm going to say it again, man cannot live without love. What, if we're meant as a family to make love, to guard, right, to reveal, I forget what the words are, those, those three, and communicate it. We're meant to show love, and the only way that a man can live is by knowing what love is. And the only way he, as a human being, can, can have a sense of what love really is, that's where I think we go wrong. We use the word when we have those fuzzy feelings, right? When it's just a, it's an emotion. It's not an emotion. Mm-hmm. Because it... And he can't even understand himself, he says. He, re- he remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless without love. How big a deal is it for us? That's what our responsibility as parents is. 
Because, it, because if love is not revealed to him, his life will be senseless. If he does not encounter love, his life will be senseless to him. If he does not experience it and make it his own and love back, his life is senseless. If he does not participate in love, his life is senseless. He cannot live without love. How big a deal is that? <laughs> now, this is John Paul II, but it flows from this idea that life, really life, life that's lasting, has one source and one source only. The God of creation, who has revealed himself through Jesus Christ as this trinity of persons. And our job is to respond to the great gift of the person of Jesus Christ who gives us access to this life, this eternal life, and that that is revealed to the people that come into our families, our children, our spouses, our brothers, our sisters, those people, it comes into them because they actually experience it by the kind word, by the showing up when it's inconvenient, by sacrificing something for the sake of them. That's when they know it, right? That's when somebody experiences it. So what happens in life, in the nitty-gritty of every day. That's why there's nothing about anything that we do that should not be capable of revealing love to another. I'm giving myself to you in that I'm making this dinner especially for you, or I'm setting aside this time. I mean, whatever I'm doing can be a way of revelation of what love means. I'm sacrificing for you because I love you. So, anyway. Uh, let's see. Um, so he starts with, okay, so love is that. So how does it reveal itself? And then he points to two really important points. The next two sections have to do with the unity and the indissoluble union, indissolubility of a couple. All right? So he's saying, okay, love is the center of it. That's where it is. And here's kind of where it happens. The first communion, quoting John Paul II, the first communion is the one which is established and which develops between husband and wife by the virtue of the covenant of married life. The man and woman are no longer two, but one flesh. And they are called to continually grow in their communion through what? Day-to-day -day fidelity mm -hmm. to their marriage mm -hmm. promise mm -hmm. of total mutual self-giving. How does that play itself out? The day-to-day -day duties. It's not like these major events. It's the babies crying, hey, honey, I'm going to go change the diaper. It's, hey, don't worry about dinner tonight. I'm going to make it. Oh, you like things hung a particular way in, in, in the closet because it bothers you when they're not, even though it doesn't bother me? I'm going to do my best to make sure they're hanging the right way. So those all seem very small, relatively small issues, right? Certainly not being crucified on a cross or anything. But that's exactly where... That's exactly where that unity is. We're one flesh, and we are day-to-day -day working together as one flesh in fulfilling what we have to do as a family, as a married couple, right? I mean, go to work. Stay, I mean, whatever it is. So, and I love this, and this gets back to, you know, the conjugal communions of this marriage sinks its roots in the natural complementarity that exists between man and woman and is nurtured through the personal willingness of the spouses to share, I love this, their entire life project, what they have and what they are. I mean, we're getting, as people prepare for marriage, I mean, I mean what, it's, we're saying, I want to share my entire life project, I want us to come together and say the entirety of my life is meant to 
reveal love, to guard love, to communicate love. And I want to do it with you and through our relationship together. That's my life project. Now, how does that play itself out? That's the beauty of God, unique and unrepeatable. The different things that happen as a result of us saying yes and our sticking to it through whatever happens, an illness, a sick, triplets, quadruplets, what, I, mean, what, I mean, a bad an accident, whatever happens, the continual yes through that struggles financially. That's where it happens, Right? Our life project is kind of, we're saying we're in it together, but we're kind of, we're unified, we're in unity with one another, we're in it together, and kind of whatever happens, happens. I mean, there used to be a thing, Stephanie's like, man, you know, Trey, when we turned this over to God, life got crazy. I mean, it's like a roller coaster, you know, and I'm like, and I'm not in charge of it, (laughs) so here, just grab a, grab a hold and let's ride this thing together, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the mentality that, that there's this. And the other thing is, is that we've talked about this before, that God is directing our lives. He's going to show you through the circumstances that come your way the ways in which he wishes to reveal love through concrete situations and concrete acts within those situations. That is the way he's going to reveal it in and through your family in a unique and unrepeatable way. That ought to fire you up. The way he's revealed it or trying to reveal it to the extent that we cooperate between me and Stephanie is going to look completely different than yours. But no less attractive, the only, the only lack of attractiveness is when I've failed to say yes. Right? Because as long as I say yes to it, Whatever's happening, yes. As long as I say yes, God can work with a yes, even with a screwed up person. So, anyway, so unity is meant to be lived through that and that life project. Um, so, listen, he ends it with this for this reason, this sharing of their entire life project of what they have and what they are. This type of communion is the fruit and sign of a profoundly human need. It's pointed to, again, back to the fact we need love, and that's what love looks like, that giving of oneself to another. So, and then I'm going to get to the second one here. The other one is, in in Luke, I'll just say, communion, communion is characterized not only by unity, which we just talked about, this union, but also indissolubility as a mutual gift of two persons, this intimate union, as well as the good of the children, imposes total fidelity on the spouses and argues for an unbreakable oneness between them. Those are, those are hard words. Nowadays, people say, yeah, really? But he goes to great lengths here to say, you're capable of doing it. You're called to it, but the sacrament does. He says, Christ renews, this is John Paul saying, Christ renews the first plan that the Creator inscribed in the hearts of man and woman. And in the celebration, the sacrament of matrimony offers a new heart. Thus, the couples are not only able to overcome hardness of heart, but also, and above all, they are able to share the full and definitive love of Christ, the new and eternal covenant made flesh. So he's saying it's possible. Not only is it possible, that's what we're called to. And so Christian couples, according to him again, are called to participate truly in the irrevocable indissolubility that binds Christ to the church, his bride, loved by him to the end. Mm-hmm. So pointing back to that sacrament, sacramental side, but we are participating not only in the life of the Trinity, but in through the sacrament of marriage, the, the life that is between Christ and his gift of himself to the church. There's nothing more serious than, than what we're asked to do. There's nothing that should excite us more than God has asked us to be a sign in this world, to reveal love to our children, 
and then through our families to the world outside by being committed to unity, knowing what we are, and by uh, saying it's for good. I mean, <laughs> there's no out, no way out. Death, do us part. All right. Well, maybe it'll take more than <laughs> to get through this. I'm sorry. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's uh, helpful. But but I think part of the issue is we've got to understand what is happening here. We are humans, and we, through our bodies, are made are meant to make the invisible God visible through our daily actions as we deal with each other as spouses and with children. And that that flows from us trusting that he can make that, he can make that happen by making us one like he is one, one flesh, even though two persons, and by making it faithful as he is to his people and as Christ is to his church. Be faithful to one another so that we're a sign of what God makes faithful. So I know we're coming down here to an end. I'll talk some more with Thaddeus. If y'all have any comments, then just let Thaddeus know. I guess I don't know how that works, but yeah. Uh, but email, anyway, email info at redsearadio dot org. But hopefully, hopefully you'll get a little excited. But here's what's exciting: only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. I'm telling you, you will. God bless you guys. You pray for me. Pray for Steph. Pray for Thaddeus and his family. We'll be praying for you. God bless. Bye.